Welcome to the DAS Podcast. I'm your host, Trey Gamage, SEL Consultant and Dean of Students. Here on the DASH, relationships and communication come first. That's why every week our goal is to provide social-emotional learning solutions for your school community. You can learn more about me and the DASH podcast at TreyGamers.com, where you'll find our middle and high school SEL workbook, Every Decision Counts, more about the DASH podcast, and my story through education. And if you are in need of accessible, autonomous, continued education, check out our adult SEL platform, seleducators.com, the only platform dedicated to adult social-emotional learning activities. Lastly, we want to give a big thanks to the Teach Better Podcast Network for putting together a collection of podcasts dedicated to supporting the entire school ecosystem through in-depth conversations that you care about. Thanks again for joining us. I hope you enjoyed the episode. This is The Dash. Thanks again for joining us here on The Dash Podcast. I've got a good friend here with us today, Dr. Tia Barnes. She's a social-emotional learning researcher, special educator, and teacher advocate. How are you doing today, Dr. Barnes? I'm doing well. How are you doing, Trey? I'm doing very good, doing very good. Just a, a moment of transparency for everybody listening. We had a conversation months ago in a really great episode that got lost in the shuffle with some technical difficulties. Um, but I'm, I'm, we've had several conversations since then. And, um, you know, I'm excited to hear you've got your podcast up and running. You've got some new proce- projects, excuse me, that you're researching. A lot of good things going on. Can you catch me up a little bit? Oh, yes, definitely, definitely. And I am glad that we were able to, you know, to have another conversation because, like you said, there's been a lot that's happened since the last one. Um, so I am current. Oh, so I've started a podcast, and the name of the podcast is the Scholarly Self-Care Podcast. And the focus of it is on self-care for teachers and parents, um, and specifically looking at it from that social and emotional learning lens. And so on the podcast, um, which has been weekly, I either talk and provide um, some of the self-care tips and things that I'm doing on my self-care journey, Mm -hmm. or I have guests who, for the most part, have been either parents or social and emotional learning experts that have come on and talked about um, their own self-care journeys, as well as some of the work uh, that they've been doing around social and emotional well-being and ways that we can incorporate that work as parents and mm. teachers in our own daily lives. Yeah, I love that. I love that. I think that's a, a phenomenal topic. And I like the way that you put it, too, as a journey through self-care. I, I was talking to someone recently about just different, I read a lot of self-care, self-help type of books um, over the last five years and like right after college, I just really spent a lot of time getting to know myself and some of the foundational principles that I would need to keep myself on the right track. Can you talk about what what, what does that mean, a journey through self-care? Because you're right, it starts as reading those books and now I don't read books nearly as much as I did um at that point in my life but my self-care routine looks very different and i'm still able to maintain uh my sanity even in times that are crazy as they are right now Uh uh-huh exactly so i look at it as a journey in the sense that 
Well, first, I guess I should define how I view self-care. So self-care for me is things that you've mentioned. So um, self-development, self-wellness, you know, moving beyond that idea of just uh, engaging in what I would consider like that surface level self-care of spa days and um, going out on a run. And I saw something today that really stuck with me. It was a picture of an iceberg. And so at the top of the iceberg, it was a self-care iceberg. And so, and I can't remember who had posted it, but at the top of the iceberg were things like going to the spa, getting a facial, getting a manicure. But then under that surface, like the majority of the iceberg was more of that inner work and, um, you know, dealing with past traumas and sleeping Mm. well and, you know, doing the things to take care of yourself. So I, I think the definition that I've looked at um, and that I uh, hold closest to me in terms of self-care is this idea of parenting yourself. So thinking about those things that you would do for a child and making sure that you're doing those things for yourself, whether it's setting boundaries with yourself or with others, um, making sure that you're eating well, that you are um, taking care of your body, that you're getting enough sleep. So the things that don't necessarily sound as exciting, but help you with maintaining that social and emotional wellness. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's so, cool. go, go ahead, go ahead. Oh, sorry. So um, I guess with knowing that like that definition, um, what I mean by self-care journey is in different phases of our life, we're going to need different things. And depending on the phase of our life, um, we may be engaging in more self-care or less self-care, right? So I'm thinking back to when my last daughter was born. Um, She's about to be two in another two months. But when she was first born and I was still going through that newborn phase, for me, the best I can do in terms of self-care was trying to get as much sleep as I possibly could. It wasn't going to be that eight hours necessarily, but just trying to get as much sleep as I could and also making sure that I was trying to to eat well, to have the energy to go through the feedings and just that newborn period. Mm-hmm. Um, but now I'm in another place in my self-care journey where I am getting uh, enough sleep daily and I'm trying to do more inner work at this point. Um, to help in like reducing anxiety and things like that, that may have come up because of COVID and just life stressors. And so I look at it as a journey in that depending on where you are at that particular time, and Trey, you brought up the great example of now we're in the middle of a pandemic. So your self-care needs might be different now than they may have been in the past. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so it's, it's that journey in the sense that you are going to have times where you're doing an exceptional job at self-care times when you're not doing so well with it. And so just realizing where you are in that journey and determining what it is that you actually need at that moment and then trying to uh, meet those needs for yourself. Yeah. I I mean, as we sit here and discuss it now, it makes me think about how, I mean, just being in the pandemic and being home so much, I've had so much more time to deal with. And I actually pulled up that iceberg that you mentioned, what we think self-care looks like what self-care really looks like. And I don't know if it's the same one. It's actually kind of blurry, but I've just had more time to get into my inner child work. And I've I've already dealt with a lot of those things, but just, but just getting beyond the surface, you know, most people 
we've always got some kind of, and I'm talking about myself too, we've always got some kind of stimulation, whether it's a YouTube video, music, whatever, we're rarely just with our own thoughts and actions. And your journey through self-care can look like that. Just, hey, I need 10 minutes of silence. I need nothing right now. And there's other moments when it, it just changes. I, I used to be a person that was very strict about my routine. I wake up at 4.30 every day. I spend 15 minutes doing this. I spend, spend 30 minutes reading. I spend an hour and a half doing this. And that regimen worked really great when I was 23 and 24, 25. But now I'm I'm married and, and about to have a family and, and realize, hey, you know what? And I'm working every day, you know, just in different capacity. I realize, hey, some days I'm going to be a little more tired. I might wake up and do work on Monday and Tuesday, but on Wednesday, I'm going to go to the gym instead. Or or Thursday, I'm just going to write in my journal. And, and I can really take that intentional time, 30 minutes, 15 minutes in the morning before I'm touched by anybody and just take that time for myself. Exactly, exactly. And I love that you bring that up because I think for me, that was something that I was battling recently was this idea of trying to get up early and do that um, that self-care before others get up and then mm-hmm. realizing that at this point and in this stage, I need sleep. Yeah. And so that was the self-care that I needed to focus on was getting a little bit more sleep than mm-hmm. I'd been getting in previous months. And so, yeah, no. There's something to be said about that flexibility. There's a fine line between being dedicated and committed and then also being understanding and in giving your body what it needs. You know, I, I even over the summer, when school started, I was like, hey man, I'm getting up at 4.30. I'm going to have a whole morning routine till six, till I go to school. And then now it's like, you know what? I'm going to wake up at 5.30 now. I'm going to wake up at five o'clock. And, and just giving myself that extra hour of sleep was um, a difference in how you spend that time in the afternoon. But I think the what what's important of it too, and what I think I've missed out on and just realizing with self-care, with your purpose or passion in life, or even with your business model and how you run a podcast, that those things just change as you grow. And as you learn more and figure more out, you you understand how to make what you're doing better. Even when you think about research, like you talked about, your research gets more narrow and more specific the deeper you get in, because you know more about what you like and more about what works, but you still have these other tools or resources that you're grasped, grasped from experience that you can lean back on. Exactly. Exactly. I, I, I mean, you're, you're, I'm, you're bringing a lot out of me right here. W- what has been in your experience so far, just podcasting and hearing people on their self-care journey, and you can go beyond that if you want to into your research, because I know in your research, you're also seeing um, and measuring a lot of different things that have to do with self-care understanding at different age ranges as well Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so i would say let me let you finish asking were you done with asking yeah that that was it okay i I know i said it more like a statement but it was a question (laughs) okay so i think um one of the interesting things that i've honed in on over time and listening to people talk about um their self-care journeys one is that For a lot of people, some sort of physical uh, exercise, some something physical is always seems to always be attached to it. So whether it's running for a lot of folks, dancing, 
um, yoga, but some sort of physical movement every day. Uh, in addition to that, there were a lot of people that talked about self-care in terms of taking the time to reflect and get to know themselves. So honing in a lot on that self-awareness piece of social and emotional learning as part of their self-care seemed to also play a big part for a lot of folks. And I would say something else is just that for a lot of people, it seemed that they understood the fact that, you know, your self-care changes over time. And especially for a lot of the folks that have come on that have been parents, which I think has been a majority, hmm. um, that the fact that perhaps in those early stages of parenting, your, self, your level of self-care and what you're doing in terms of self-care is going to look different yeah. um, than what it's going to look like later on. Yeah, that's that's the truth. So I know I don't even think you finished talking about what all you were doing, but you you introduced us with your podcast. And now I'm curious, too. How does the work that you're doing with your podcast align with the research that you're doing in SEL? Oh, yes. And I'm sorry I didn't answer this earlier. I think you had um, asked about both aspects. But in terms of my research um, at this point, well, I guess to just broadly talk about what I do, a lot of my research focuses on social emotional learning and specifically looking at it uh, from a lens of supporting students who are from minoritized populations. And by that, I mean individuals who are from racial and ethnic, um, and I put this in quote in um, parentheses, uh, racial and ethnic minority groups in the sense that, you know, we're not necessarily uh, minorities mm -hmm. in numbers, but minorities in terms of power within the society. Um, and then also individuals who have disabilities. My background's in special education, and so that's a big mm -hmm. part of my focus. And I've also done some work with um, individuals who identify as LGBTQ um, around bullying specifically. And so within a lot of that work, um, I would say I initially started off with students and how can we support the students in those in these school environments around social and emotional learning. And it became clear uh, pretty early on that we actually need to um, flip that and start with the adults. Mm, so um, that has led me to the, the podcast. But with the adult work that um, I've been engaged in lately, it's been a lot around um, in the special ed realm, studying how we can support teacher and paraprofessional well-being, mm. but then also supporting teachers and paraprofessionals in terms of their collaboration. Okay, okay. Uh, and then I'm also doing some work still around students. Uh, specifically, I was involved in a project that is looking at the experiences of Black girls. And within that project, we're looking at things like their experiences in terms of uh, physical health, uh, mental health, their relationships and, and supports that um, they have within their communities, within their families, within their peer groups, and then also looking at experiences with racism. And uh, a big part of that project was just connecting with um, community groups, so a community group is is leading this project mm -hmm. as, with us and um, a big part of it was to get some of these findings to then support in terms of policy changes and and inform um, 
future advocacy for these girls. I got you. I got you. So, I mean, what it just sounds like to me is that we're going to have to have a couple of conversations to talk about all this. There was four things that you mentioned that really caught my mind. I'm going to just list them and I'm going to let you choose which one you want to talk about next. Okay. Okay. <laughs> you mentioned um, SEO research, like, but you were a teacher as well. So I, I, I think one, just I'm still learning about the opportunities in education outside of just teaching in a classroom, in a school or district. There's so many other opportunities like SEO research. You also mentioned the minoritized piece, and that's something I just saw on Instagram lately. We're not minoritized or under, or we're not minorities or um, unprivileged, we're underserved and minoritized. Um, I thought that was a good one. And then that's, that work for support with adults, supporting adults, that's, that's my area there as well in that experience with Black girls. So that's four just amazing <laughs> topics. Well, which one do you want to dig into? Oh, man. They all, yeah, you're right. They're all good topics. Um, let's talk, I guess, a little bit more about opportunities in education because I think that one of the things that we need to make um, education and, and especially social and emotional learning uh, more culturally competent is that we need more folks of color at all levels of education. So I would love to talk more about that in, in hopes of encouraging more people who um, are either currently in education that want to move into different roles mm -hmm. or who may be listening in the hopes of getting into education to join because we we need to we need our students to be able to see themselves that's definitely something that has come up in the work as well is how has that shown up in your experience in in research when you're going in doing this research you know in this field are you seeing black people are you seeing minorities in the field and how do you feel like that impacts the data so Definitely in terms of um, researchers, I would say we are a minority in terms of numbers, definitely. There, there are not a lot of, of Black social emotional learning researchers. Um, I think we, we look for each other, we find each other, we try to do our best to support one another like we do in whatever roles, it is, whatever roles we're taking on. Uh, but I think one of my big worries in terms of social and emotional learning is the fact that um, the demographics of folks that are supporting this work look a lot like the demographics of folks mm -hmm. that are supporting education um, broadly. So looking at just like academic education and we've seen how this can lead to uh, lots of issues in terms of, for example, over-identification in special education, uh, achievement gaps and things of the sort, because the research that's being done and then what's being passed down to schools is very much focused on the white middle-class culture. Mm. And so I think it is important that we have more folks that are in these spaces and doing this work that you know have the cultural knowledge and the cultural background yeah. to bring to this work so that this work 
is app is going to be applicable to to various cultural groups and and that this doesn't become another way like social emotional learning doesn't become another way to say oh we have this group of students who don't have these skills mm. and move it to that deficit uh, mindset of what they don't have these skills right. because the the skills that we decide are needed and the skills that we decide are um, the skill set that should be focused on were never created with them in mind. Wow. 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 Wait a minute. So mm, the wow, that, there's just a lot there to you. There's, there's <laughs> a lot there. Um, because there's minimal black educators and resources in all these places we're seeing um, the issues arise in so many places, but in, in because, so because that we, because we've been minoritized, mm-hmm. we're in a system of minoritization. I, I might've made that one up just in education. And because there's so few of us, people just think that we're at a deficit because they don't understand our culture or, or communication works different. For me, I'm not a person that was really a big fan of traditional education. But once I started learning about SEL, that would get me excited for school. If we got to talk about these kind of things in school, that's a better language for me. And that's not, I think to your point, that has nothing to do with racial makeup. That's one of the skills. These are skills that we need, period. Whatever you're going through, these are the skills that are going to make you successful. So don't try to make these skills only for the people that are being minoritized. These are our global skills. Is that what I'm hearing? Yeah, so that's a part of it, right? So in thinking about like just traditional, if you're thinking about education, we know that the way that schools were initially conceptualized, it was never really with us in mind. Mm. You know, black people, yes, us, as a whole. Latin, yeah, like it was never really built for us. And so um, sadly, <laughs> it has never really, we haven't gone through a rebuild in a way where, where education is is reformatted and rethought with us in mind. So when you consider things like the achievement gap and overrepresentation of um, minority student or of racial and ethnic minority students or people of color in general in special education, a big part of that is because the school system was never set up with us in mind. But right now we're looking at it from a deficit perspective saying that these children are have some sort of in, innate deficit. And so now they need these special education services instead of looking at it like, why are so many of these children right. in special education? That must mean there's something wrong with how our general education is set up where you know it's not really meeting the needs of students mm. of color. And so what my fear is, is that as we do move towards um, this idea of social and emotional learning and uh, make it, and I love that we are in this place where social emotional learning is becoming so, so much more recognized, especially during um, this pandemic. But um, the worry here is that we need to be very careful in how we think about this and how we approach it because we don't want it now to become something where... Um, as you're looking at things like social awareness 
are you only looking at it through the lens of a white middle class individual mm. and saying, well, this child doesn't have social awareness because they're not doing this, this, and this. Whereas for that child in their community or in their home, that is social awareness and it is appropriate. And so it's, it's trying to um, educate teachers and uh, school staff and faculty to ensure that we don't then move into that that direction yeah. um, of, of framing social emotional learning just from one perspective of the like the dominant culture and not uh, take it into account that it may look different for different people and we need to make sure that we're going about it um, with that lens mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I mean this is really this is really good i think what you're saying is things that i've i've kind of heard in in some ways or another but how you're putting it is is giving me a whole new perspective in those those pictures those equity pictures equity versus equality pictures that that's what comes to mind in the actual narrative behind some of those pictures because you're mm, cuz like you said the system isn't built for us so it's like the you're giving the monkey the same test that you're giving a fish and you ask me why I'm not able to do it. But you're, that you've kind of unpacked the whole thing with what you're saying there. Here's why that's wrong. Here's why you, you don't compare um, an, an elephant to a fish or, or a giraffe to a hippo. You know, you, you, you have to put apples with apples and oranges with oranges. And again, I'm, I'm not saying that from a racial standpoint, but if there's an issue, if we're over generalizing this, population why are we not reaching them why are we not teaching them why are we not connecting i did a i did a uh, i started doing a micro credential for restorative practices and one of the first activities was the circle of efficacy where i had to look at students that i struggled to reach and teach and students that i was successful at reaching and teaching and look at the characteristics of both to understand what the difference was and i recognized that I was more successful at reaching and teaching students that had similar characteristics as me. They were talkative, they were mm-hmm. vibrant, I could read their verbal and their nonverbal communication skills. They were really outgoing and I struggled to reach kids that were quiet, that were less expressive, that didn't really emote too much and, and were more guarded. That that showed me where my bias was and we're in a whole system that has a bias towards a, a, a certain people. Um, and yeah. it's hard to, you know, hard to see that. You're not willing to look at it from a different lens. Exactly. Yeah, and I, and I love that you brought that up because um, even how you talk about within yourself, you know, that you have these biases. And so that's why I, I, I'm also stressing the, you know, need for us to have a more diverse teaching field. Because, mm-hmm. for example, just because you're a Black male doesn't mean that you're going to be able to connect with every single black male student that's out there. We need that diversity in terms of multiple, um, multiple people in a school that look like a student, mm-hmm. um, multiple people in a school that have had similar experience. Maybe they don't look like them, but they've had similar experiences to what those students have had. So multiple ways um, where students can make connections with others. And uh, right now we're, schools aren't really showing that. You know what I mean? We do have um, folks in schools who are are traditionally we attract folks in classrooms, um, 
that in some cases do look like their students have gone through experiences like their students, but in most cases have not. Um, yeah. So that's problematic. Yeah, for sure. So, I mean, I think there's, and when we think about um, ways that, that you can be in education, so there is that traditional route of being a teacher and a classroom educator, but there's also being an SEL researcher. You can be an edrepreneur, an edrepreneur, you know, an education entrepreneur. There's, you know, companies like Castle or Second Step or these education institutions and organizations that you can also work for, curriculum associates. There's there's all kinds of things, content writing. There's just so many things we can do. And I'm, I'm, I've been an educator for five years now, and I'm still seeing more lanes and angles that are options in education that I didn't even realize were a thing um, before I got started. So it's it's amazing the opportunity that we have, and I think you're you're so right. <clears throat> we have to saturate the industry with people that are diverse. Period. I, I'm fortunate to live in a place here in South Carolina. Well, fortunate and unfortunate. I'm fortunate in a place to see a lot of black leadership, a lot of black teachers, a lot of black um, people doing everything. The unfortunate side of that is that everything is pretty much segregated. You're either at a black school or a white school, or you know, it's either going to be all black or all white. There's not much of a 50-50 split down here. Um, that's the that's the not so good piece of it. Um, I, I like where we're going here. Do you have any other thoughts around getting involved in education and and putting more effort in getting people of color, minoritized individuals? in the education industry? Um, I would just say definitely it needs to be something that we, and in teacher education programs, so like I am um, in a teacher education program now, but that we consider what we're doing in terms of recruitment mm. of students and ensuring that we are reaching out to a, a diverse population of students to try to pull them into that teaching pipeline. Um, but then also, Beyond that, how are we supporting them through the process? Mm. Uh, because I, I feel like in some cases, the students um, who are from minority backgrounds just more or less fall through the cracks um, of much like they do in the K-12 sector, in the higher ed sector as well, whether it's because they feel like um, they, they'd rather go into another major uh, for financial reasons, or they just haven't really made any connections with their cohort of um, peers that they'll be with going through the teaching programs. But yeah, def definitely more efforts to engage. I yeah. think it's going to be a key part from a younger age as well, because I think um, by the time students reach college, they more or less have know. at least some sense of where they want to, what they want to pursue. Well, I, I do have a highlight on that realm. I have, we've had, um, this week is National Career Week, and we've had students they've been able to dress up as a, a career of their choice and, and a person or whatever of their choice there. And so we had two or three students that have come shown up as their teacher, as their classroom teacher. Um, and so that's been really cool to see. And it's it's always fun to see them in their environment. So I'm, I'm very grateful for the work that you're doing, Dr. Barnes, and your research and your podcast and your advocacy in and we're going to do this again. We've already had several conversations, so we're, we're, we've got a few more topics to discuss. So I certainly appreciate you and your time that you've spent with us to unpack 
the importance of SER research and what you're uncovering with everything that you're doing. Of course, and I'd love to come back and talk more. Um, thanks for having me. I very much appreciate that. Great, 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 great. Where can the people find you, Dr. Bonds, and listen to the podcast? Um, I am a bit, oh, I'm on Twitter at uh, Dr. Tia N. Barnes, and so you can find me there. I'm also at at Dr. Tia Barnes on um, Instagram, and my podcast is The Scholarly Self-Care Podcast, and it's available on all podcast apps, and I also have a um, Instagram account for it, so at The Scholarly Self-Care Podcast. There we go. There we go. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Barnes, for listening to us. You've got all the places to go follow her and learn more information. So please do that. And right after you do, go visit seleducators.com. We have all of your courses for social emotional learning and adult SEL support like we were talking about here today. Look out for the Teacher Summer Reboot that's coming up very soon. January 1st, you can get your registration on right now at educators to educators.com. There's a lot going on right now and we're doing our best to support all of our educators in the school community. So thank you again for listening. If you like it, share it. We'll see you next time. This is The Dash.